Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, What is a Full Gospel Church? Praise the Lord. Thank you, everybody, for visiting here with us on Sunday morning. I feel like a lot of the people are visitors, and we're just so happy you're with us. All right. The title of my message this morning is, What is a Full Gospel Church? What is a Full Gospel Church? And I'd like to begin by asking a few questions. What does it mean to be a full gospel believer? What does it mean to be a full gospel preacher? What does it mean to be a full gospel church? And why do I believe that every church should be a full gospel church? Now, some of you may be familiar with the term full gospel. Some of you may not. Most are probably familiar with the term spirit-filled when you want to describe our kind of church. And in fact, we describe our church on our website and on Facebook, on our Google business profile as non-denominational spirit-filled. And we do that because the term spirit-filled is more commonly recognized and more commonly used today than the term full gospel. But I like the term full gospel because it's more easily tied to the Scripture, and it gives a more complete picture of what a spirit-filled church is like and what a spirit-filled church believes. Amen. Most of the time, if someone asks me about our church and what we believe, I'll say this. I'll say we are a full gospel, spirit-filled church. And hopefully by the time I finish explaining what I mean by full gospel, they'll understand what I mean by spirit-filled as well. Amen. Or they'll cut me off because they don't want to hear it. (laughs) So let me take some time this morning to unpack the term full gospel. And hopefully when we're done, you'll have a better understanding of what charismatics, Pentecostals, spirit-filled, and word of faith believers mean by that term. It turns out that the term full gospel actually comes from the Bible, specifically Paul's letter to the Romans. So if you would turn in your devices or in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15, verse 19. That is Romans chapter 15, verse 19. This is Paul speaking to the Roman believers, and he says here in verse 19, "...through mighty signs and wonders..." By the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Did you get that? He said, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. How did he fully preach the gospel of Christ? By working and operating in mighty signs and wonders and by the Spirit and power of God. That's what he's saying. So that, in a nutshell, already answers the question about what is a full gospel church. But I've got more for you. Read it in the Amplified, and it becomes even clearer. Romans 15, 19 in the Amplified reads like this. Even as my preaching has been accompanied with the power of signs and wonders, and all of it by the power of the Holy Spirit, the result is that starting from Jerusalem... And as far round as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel, faithfully executing, accomplishing, carrying out to the full 
the good news of Christ, the Messiah, in its entirety. You know, one of the reasons we call it the full gospel is we don't leave anything out. We preach it in its entirety with signs, wonders, miracles, gifts of the Spirit, tongues, and all of the things that some people seem to be afraid of. So to fully or completely preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, there should be signs, wonders, and power that confirm the word that you preach so that people know that you're sent by God and people know that you're speaking the truth to them. Amen? To fully preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, you must preach a gospel of power. Even if you're just speaking one-on-one with someone, they need to know there's power behind your words. They need to know that you were sent by God. They need to know that the words you speak are true. And one of the ways that God validates that is by allowing power to be behind your words. Amen. Speaking of power, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, probably familiar to most of us. A very powerful scripture that ties the power and the gospel together. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Amen. So I want to take a few minutes and and break this down for you because it's so packed with revelation. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power. Notice it doesn't say that power is an attribute of the gospel, or power is a characteristic of the gospel. Paul says, no, the gospel is power. They are synonymous. They're one and the same. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. And that word there, power, is the Greek word dunamis, from which we get our English word dynamite, and it means explosive power. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the explosive power of God unto or resulting in salvation. Now that word there, salvation, is a very interesting word. In the Greek, it is soteria. It means spiritual salvation, healing, preservation from physical harm, wholeness, deliverance, salvation in the most complete sense of the word. To everyone that believes... Amen? There is this kind of power available in the gospel. The gospel is power. Amen? They are one and the same. Now, years ago, I was driving in my car down South Padre Island Drive in Corpus Christi, Texas, and I heard a preacher on the radio say, I don't preach on healing or any of that other stuff. I just preach the gospel. You know what I did? I hollered at my radio. I said, you can't separate the gospel from the power that's inherent in the gospel. They are one and the same. I got upset. I preached to him for like a whole minute. He couldn't hear me. But this is what I said. You can't have one without the other. The same power that can save you from your sin can heal your body. The same power that can heal your body can deliver you from all forms of satanic oppression. So let me give you a scriptural example of what I'm saying. In Acts chapter 14, Paul and his company started preaching in Asia Minor. They came into a town called Iconium, and they preached the word, and both Jews and Gentiles believed the gospel. 
But then the unbelieving Jews stirred up trouble and caused them to have to flee from Iconium to the cities of Lystra and Derbe. So let's pick up the story in Lystra. Acts chapter 14, verse 7 through 10. Acts chapter 14, verse 7 through 10. And they were preaching the gospel there. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Amen. Now, the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, we all know this, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Isn't that right? So hear me out. If the gospel they preached in Lystra did not include the healing power of God, how in the world did this man have faith to be healed? So we see from the Bible that healing, which is a display of God's loving power, it was an integral part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, I say you cannot separate the power of God from the gospel because the gospel is power. The words you speak are filled with power when you preach the gospel. Not surprisingly, Jesus preached the full gospel. He is our example to follow. Now in John chapter 14, Jesus has a conversation with his disciples and he's trying to explain to them that he and the Father were one. And Philip gets impatient because he's not understanding and he says... He says, just show us the Father, Jesus, then we'll understand what you mean. Then we'll be satisfied. And this was Jesus' response. John 14, verse 9. John 14, verse 9. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? In other words, Jesus is saying, you've been with me for three and a half years. I'm telling you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I walk like Him. I talk like Him. I act like Him. I look like Him. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So how are you asking me, show us the Father? You know, over there in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, depending on which translation you listen to, it says that Jesus is the exact duplicate the perfect imprint, the expressed image of the Father God. Isn't that amazing? Then he goes on in verse 10. He said, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Notice Jesus is making a connection between the words that he speaks and the powerful works of God that accompany his words. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. In other words, he's saying, if you're having trouble believing that I am he and that the Father and I are one, if you're having trouble getting your arms around that, consider this. I couldn't do anything that I'm doing unless the Father worked through me to do these miracles. This is proof that he and I are one. 
And then he sort of shifts here in verse 12, and it's like he's changing the subject, but he's not. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, I want to spend a little time here. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works, because I go to my Father. So he's saying, listen, if you're having trouble seeing that I and the Father are one, consider the fact, I said this before, that the Father is working through me to do these miracles. One day, there's coming a day when the Holy Spirit will come in you, and Jesus in you will produce the works of Jesus out of you. And it'll be the proof to the world that you and Jesus are one. Do you see the parallel there? And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What's the purpose of the works of God? To glorify God in the name of Jesus. And it says here, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That word there, ask, it means ask, require, or demand. Now, I want to tell you right off the bat, this is not talking about prayer. Do you see that the entire context of this passage here has to do with doing the works of God in the name of Jesus? So it's not talking about prayer. So when you say, I can ask, require, or demand anything in the name of Jesus, you're not asking it of the Father. You're asking the demonic strongholds to let go so people can be saved, healed, and delivered. Do you see that? Now, over there in John chapter 16, he says, there's coming a day when I leave, and you will ask the Father anything in my name, and he will give it to you. That's talking about prayer. This is clearly talking about doing the works of God in Jesus' name. Amen. And notice it says, you'll do it, and you'll even do greater works than what Jesus did. Now, that's a mind blower when you consider that Jesus raised three people from the dead, He caused the maimed to behold, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, all kind of wonderful miracles, and Jesus said, you'll do more. Now, I haven't caught up with Jesus yet, but I'm working real hard to do so. Amen. Hallelujah. And you should be too. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All right. Acts chapter 2, verse 22, talking about Jesus and why he did the things that he did on the earth, why he did the miracles that he did, Acts 2.22. Now, the background here is this is the day of Pentecost. The 120 have been filled with the Holy Spirit. They came streaming out of the upper room, worshiping God in tongues, and it drew a crowd. And Peter starts preaching the gospel to them. And he says here in verse 22, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourself also know. Notice it says that God used the miracles, wonders, and signs to put his stamp of approval on Jesus as sent by God and one that speaks the truth. Amen. That's the purpose of signs, wonders, and miracles, to confirm the word that you preach or teach. The apostles preached the full gospel, following Jesus' example. Hebrews chapter 2, 
verse 3 and 4. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? That's talking about the apostles. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Amen. So the apostles were approved of God also by the works that they did as they preached the gospel. Amen. The Apostle Paul, we already know this because we mentioned it at the very beginning, but the Apostle Paul preached the full gospel. But I want you to come back to this concept of tying words to power. Paul knew the importance of speaking words that were backed by the power and the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2 through 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2 through 4. This is Paul speaking. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Notice Paul is saying, at least in this occasion or in this season, he's saying, listen, right now I'm not a real great orator. I'm not a real good speaker. But one thing I know, when I speak the Word of God, it's accompanied by the Spirit of power. And I, I think he leaned on that in times when his speaking, his preaching wasn't up to his par. Amen. You know, let's go on here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to give you a little background. I want to start reading at verse 18. But before we do, I, I need to set the stage. In that passage, before we get to verse 18... Paul tells the Corinthians, you have thousands of teachers, but you don't have many fathers in the faith. You need more fathers in the faith. As for these teachers, a lot of them are puffed up in pride. They think they're something. But he says, I'm coming because I want to hear these teachers. And that's where we pick it up here in verse 18. Now some are puffed up. He's talking about these prideful teachers as though I would not come to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. In other words, he's saying, I'm coming, and when I do, I'm going to listen to these teachers, and we'll see if there's any power backing their words. And by that, you'll know which ones are sent by God and which ones aren't. Now, I need to talk for just a minute about lying signs and wonders. You know, 2 Thessalonians 2.9 talks about lying signs and wonders. And I just want to say right up front, just because Satan tries to mimic and copy the legitimate power of God in manifestation, it doesn't invalidate the real thing. Uh, people are afraid that they're going to get a counterfeit. If I had a $100 bill in my hand right now and I, I handed it to you, and I said, take this $100 bill, most likely you would not say, I'm not going to take it because it might be counterfeit. You're going to look at me and know that I'm a man of the word, I'm a man of the spirit, you're going to trust the source, and you're going to believe that it's a legitimate $100 bill. But people don't apply that logic when it comes to signs, wonders, and miracles, and you need to. Look at the preacher, examine his life. 
How does he treat his wife? How does he treat his family? How does he live his life? Is he a man of the word? Is he a man of the spirit? And if he is, you can trust the source. So many in the modern day church have run from signs, wonders, and miracles because they're afraid of the counterfeit works of the devil. But listen, this is the alternative. Without signs, wonders, and miracles, you reduce Jesus to just a great philosopher with a lot of great ideas, but no power to do anything for anybody today. I call it the gondification of Jesus Christ. I had somebody come up to me one time and say, wasn't Jesus just like Gandhi? I said, no, nothing like Gandhi. Yes, Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, but also he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's got a powerful roar. Amen. Hallelujah. Got that off my chest. Amen. So if you think that Jesus was like Gandhi and you're here today, please, I didn't mean to step on your toes. So as modern-day believers, we should follow the example of our forefathers in the faith and preach the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 through 20. This is Jesus speaking, and this is the so-called Great Commission. Verse 15, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And that's where most of our denominational brethren stop reading. Verse 17 says, And these signs will follow those who believe. If you're a believer and you're a believing believer, these signs will follow you according to the word. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. I love it how Jesus starts with the two most controversial. He just lays it out there. (laughs) They will take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Again, we see that the purpose of signs, wonders, miracles, gifts of the Spirit is to confirm the truth of the words that you preach. Amen. And it is so necessary. There's nothing that turns off unbelievers more than a powerless gospel. Just come into our house and hold on to the rapture. One of these days we're going to be taken out of here and life's going to be so much better. It's not going to be a rescue operation. When he comes for the church, the Bible says he's coming for a glorious church without spot and wrinkle. And I guarantee you, they'll be walking in the power of God the way that Jesus did. Amen. So let's consider the impact of a full gospel church. Since the early church, I think you'd agree with me, was most definitely a full gospel church. Let's look at the impact on the church and on the city of Jerusalem after they experienced 
a Holy Ghost invasion on the day of Pentecost. I'll just run through this real quickly. Acts chapter 2, after the 120 got filled with the Holy Spirit, they streamed out of the upper room into the city streets, speaking in tongues, worshiping God. Jews from all over the world heard them speaking the wonderful works of God in their own native tongue. Let me just stop there. This is a little bit of a side journey, but it's a good side journey. I happen to believe that in this occasion, when they all spoke with other tongues, they weren't speaking in the languages of the people from all around the known world. But miraculously, they heard them speak in their own language. Now, I've had that happen to me three times at least. One time I was in a prayer meeting and I was leading the prayer meeting. I was praying in tongues. Someone came up to me afterwards and said, I heard you speaking in French. I guarantee you, I know what my tongues sound like, and it doesn't sound like French. Then another time, I was leading a group of students at the Bible school where I used to be the director, and I was praying in the Spirit, and a young man came to me and said, you were speaking Spanish, and you were speaking Spanish with a Puerto Rican dialect. I said, well, it didn't sound that way to me. He said, well, it did to me. (laughs) Amen. And another time, right here in this church, Somebody working the sound booth came up to me afterwards, said, when you were speaking in tongues, I heard you speaking in Spanish. I said, praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. It is a legitimate gift of God. All right. So where were we? Peter, after this great outpouring, one of the 120 was transformed from from the coward that denied the Lord three times. And now he becomes, just weeks later, this mighty preacher. Amen. And as a result of his preaching, on that day, 3,000 people were added to the church. Amen. Saved and added to the church. Isn't that awesome? A short while later, Peter and John entered the temple through the beautiful gate, and they healed a man who'd been lame from birth. And it drew a crowd. Since he was a regular beggar at that gate, everybody knew him, and everybody knew that a miracle had been performed when they saw him walking and leaping and praising God. Peter preached again, and 5,000 more were saved and added to the church. Listen, because a small group of 120 people got filled with the Spirit of God, the whole city of Jerusalem was transformed. Amen. Because the healing power of God was touching people's lives, their little church grew from a little church to a mega church in a matter of weeks. Now, as I said before we started, I've listened to church growth experts, and some of the things they recommend are practical and worth looking into for an up-and-coming church like ours. And we do need to do what we can do in the natural to get the word out about our church. But listen to me. When it comes to spirit-led, spirit-empowered church growth, there's no substitute for signs, wonders, miracles, gifts of the Spirit that confirm the bold preaching of the Word of God. There is no substitute for that. So let's make up our minds as a church, as a whole, and here at Faith Life Fellowship, that we're going to be a part of this third great awakening, which will be accompanied by signs, wonders, miracles, gifts of the Spirit. It's already happening in California. It's coming our way. Let's believe God for signs, wonders, and miracles here at Faith Life Fellowship. Amen. 
Let's take those signs, wonders, and miracles outside the church and let them manifest in our particular circle of influence. Let them be our calling card and let the Lord fill this house with people. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message, What is a Full Gospel Church? If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.